Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Tonight, my very special guest is noted poet Heather Corbley Bryant. Heather, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Glad to be back. I'm yes. <laughs> I'm glad you're here too. Christmas has come early. All right, let's begin this journey together. Please share a poem or two. Sure. So I'm going to be reading tonight from my new book, which will come out, I believe, in the summer of 2022. And the first poem I'm going to read is called October Wasps. A few Sundays ago, the wasps headed out of town, deserting the paper nest they had constructed to last the summer through Labor Day. All summer long, they buzzed around, but really they struck the set, tore it down, left it in tatters as they flew away. Gray shards stripped down, slapped in the wind, hanging off the corner of our house. A few stray wasps hung around, left behind by chance or choice. They hissed, angry at their desertion, like birds left behind by their flock. The hurting must go on, a lifetime's worth of hurt, the tail concentrated in a single summer. Now the wasps flee, the few stray ones ready to They are not feeling the autumn calm, only the piercing pain of abandonment. They sting first you, then me, angry and free. You on the shoulder, me on the finger, when I pick up the wooden salad bowl left over from a faraway time, when I thought you chose once and it was forever. On the September morning, you had ice and a bouquet of tangerine chrysanthemums. And then... I spent a lot of time this last year in New Hampshire, and I got to know a really different landscape. So this next poem I'm going to read is called Sewell Preserve. Fall where it may. Golden maples, birch, copper beech, stray goldenrod, still growing far into October. Piles of softened leaves beneath our feet. Volunteers tending the land. Pruning twigs. Branches, now I understand the desire to steward earth for those who come after us. A stray orchid, a lady slipper blooming into fall. Let the light fall where it may. As we fold into Shavasana, so we know where to begin and also where to end. Death seems less terrifying now. I know where I will be resting. In a former asparagus field, in a sleepy village I have known my whole life, from childhood, adolescence, young wifehood, through becoming a new mother, a first bereft daughter. And now, as I raise my arms and let go free, here, here I can be. I no longer feel as though I've been locked out of the world. 
places where I have always wanted to be. Let the light fall where it may, all through these sunny October days. Then, that was beautiful, Heather. That, let's just stop, stop for a moment. <laughs> that was absolutely exquisite. The, the first one was as well. But for whatever reason, that particular one struck me so. That really, Thank really you. was nice. Thank you for sharing that. All right. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> it's, fun, it's fun to – that one, it's, I hadn't read it for a long time out loud. It's, I liked how it sounded. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Seven. The next one is called Lead, and there's a lot of rock in New Hampshire. Well, the work of men is not easy, but unless it is work we undertake of our free will, the rocks will never be steady beneath our feet. We will only be setting ourselves up for a lifetime of unease, as the rocks can't shift beneath to support us. Flint, lead, granite, graphite. All the colors. Each one rock gives us purchase. It is easy to imagining tumbling into free fall, but not when the skirt of rocks beneath us forms to make our lives. No one's foundation survives without cracks, but in irony, they can only stay extant, intact, when they have cracks, so they can bend like a San Francisco skyscraper swaying in an earthquake. In order to stand, we need to learn how to fall. Wow. Wow. In order to stand, we need to learn how to fall. I like that line. I like that line. Tell Tell me about your new book. What inspired it? Tell me everything. Well, I started... You know, I've, I've been writing my poem a day, and I didn't do the math. I should have done the math, but I've been doing a poem a day since August 15th of 2003. So I think I'm getting close to 7,000. Oh, <laughs> I was going to ask that it was 6,000, but it's close to 7,000? Wow. I think, I think so. I have to do the math, but maybe mid-6,000. So. Um, I started writing, you know, focusing my writing, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic. So around March of 2020 is when this book really starts. And then I continued it through, you know, first we thought it was just going to be a few weeks. So some of the poems you'll see that. Um, But then it's, you know, endured over time, obviously. And it, so this book kind of carries through the arc of, late summer um, into fall. I named it, um, first I was calling it Prayers for the Pandemic. That was my original Mm -hmm. title. And then um, I changed it to The Coffin Makers, which is the the title that I'll read tonight. Um, But it's it's really about trying to with the last year and a half. Well, with the title being Coffin Makers, it would make me think that the poems were really sad. Is that the case, or there is life in the Coffin Makers? Oh, there's definitely life. Um, And in fact, I started thinking about how, you know, the Coffin Makers, 
you know, they that's their job. They do that every day, right? I, I thought a lot yes, about do. what each of us does every day. I think that's where okay. a lot of these poems came from. Mm-hmm. Oh, very and nice. A lot are, yeah. A lot of them are nature poems, too. Um, okay. So, All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it's, it's not unrelentingly sad. <laughs> Okay, all right then. <laughs> well, let's hear some more, either from coffee makers or wherever you'd like to share your poems from. Okay, you've got That'd seven thousand, so <laughs> yeah, you, <can> share. <laughs> you got yeah, a lot of shoes from. <laughs> <laughs> um, as much time as you need, my friend. <laughs> some of them are um, so. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, my new husband and I bought a log cabin in New Hampshire that we thought oh, wow. we would do, you know, sort of part-time. And we moved there at the very beginning. So a lot of them are about, you know, learning how to live there. And um, this one is about, one's called Black Bear Nightfall. And this was the night that the black bear walked through our yard. Very close. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, So this one's called Black Bear Nightfall. At first, he was just a black shape, slipping along at twilight, across the periphery of my eye, chasing a wilderness corridor, until he came into focus, stopped, and turned towards me, the dog now staring back at us right below the deck. He appeared mesmerized by us. The pup began barking, as if to alert me a bit late. Danger. I have not seen one of these creatures before. He stood so still before he slipped into shadow wood, disappearing from this clearing. He turned to look back one more time, as if to make sure he had seen us, that we were as he thought we were. After he left, we looked back at where he had been, and it was impossible to believe he had been there that he was not simply a mirage after all. Wow. And then this is a poem that I wrote for a celebration. There's a sculpture farm in Harvard, Mass called Old Frog Pond Farm. And every year, the woman who owns it, Linda Hoffman, has a poetry contest and celebration. So you, the charges you go during the year and the poem has to originate there on that land. And then she has a celebration in the fall where you come and read the poems. And then they're typically published um, in a beautiful chapbook. So um, I actually went there with my friend Lindidi on the solstice. And we each wrote a poem there. And we've done that several years. And I don't think it happened this year, but two times we've actually ended up with the same word in both our poems. One year we oh, both wow. had from. So um, this one is called Sitting Out the Solstice Under a Japanese Maple Tree. So it's, it dates from June of 2020. Sitting beneath green feathered leaves that cut out shapes, underneath a canopy of grace, a cooling welcome today when it's 90 degrees in the shade. The experience of being, the sign out front says, Black Lives Matter today, now, always. The side slow turf crossing 
slow children playing, the places we drive by, both haunted and tainted by our lives. We could spend our lifetime redoing everything, feathered green leaves, casting dappled shadows on my bare white legs, sitting beside the farm stand, selling garlic scapes, strawberry, and kale. Where do we plant our fruit and cuttings? It is the beginning of grace to retrace our roots, though we can never recoup the shootings, the lies, the violence beneath their canopy of fire, flying on the wings of hope and deed. We can learn from this new beginning, breathing the grace of longing and belonging. We can only start again from where we are just now. And that poem is my only poem that I know of so far that's been translated into Hindi and published in India. Oh, wow. Wow, Heather, that's nice. That's a beautiful piece, too. Thank you. A woman translated it, and we worked together, and I... It's a really interesting conversation about translation, and we went back and mm-hmm. forth, and she asked to clarify, you know, the meanings of some of the words, and then she, I obviously don't speak Hindi, but she, you know, translated back how she was interpreting the words, and it was a beautiful kind of linguistic um, mm-hmm. conversation. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Continue. And that, um my daughter got married during the pandemic. On oh, really? Wow, you've been busy. You've been busy. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. <laughs> yeah. So this one is called Planting Perennial Cuttings, late in June. We plant the last of my front splits on this first morning after my daughter's faraway wedding in this year of strangeness abiding. It was perhaps strangest at the beginning when we had to keep figuring out how to live in this year when the virus rages free. We plant hostas, columbine, delphiniums, white border sedums that won last season's horticultural prize. We see how one plant can cleave to the next beside the roots of happiness and how I wish for her an entire garden free of weeds. And then um, my children actually drove across country to visit in the pandemic, which was a miracle. Oh, wow. Uh, One one set came from Seattle and one set came from Omaha. The other came from Boston, but he had the shortest trip. Um, Oh. So I'll read this one. Soon after my children's leaving. It began to rain soon after my children left, perhaps matching my mood in a 21st century recreation of Ruskin's pathetic fallacy. Nothing can match our late afternoon July swims at Little Van Hole Pond. We debate the dilemmas of existence. I do my best to hold back my cries. The saying goodbye is never easy, especially in the midst of a global pandemic when everything is more fraught. You three who've driven most of the way across the country so we can see each other safety in safety. I think of you now traveling west on the Massachusetts Turnpike. I hold the tears back. They are no help to anyone right now. Deep, cool drizzle begins to spatter on the driveway. 
it was 90 degrees much of the time you were here. And now, just as you are leaving, the weather is breaking. Wow. One thing about you, Heather, you can craft a poem. Oh, thank you can you. truly craft a poem. What do you think that most poorly written poems have in common? And then I'm going to ask you, what do you think that most well-written poems have in common? That's the question. Those oh, are the questions uh, to you. Those are great questions. Um, I, think, I think poorly written poems are like they hover in abstractions. Okay. I think, I think the more I write, the more I believe in the concreteness of imagery. And I, I think of, you know, Ezra Pound chanting to all of his friends saying, you know, make it new, make it new. And William Carlos Williams saying, you know, only, only, only things or only ideas and things. I'm screwing up the line, but it's something like that. So I think that's concreteness. And then for me, the sound, like how, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously in love with language, so the way yes. words sound when they're placed together mm. is really important. Mm. Well, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Okay. for you, Heather. Sure. Are you there? All right. (laughs) You've written almost (laughs) almost 7,000 poems. Oh, my God. (laughs) Has a poem ever humbled or frightened you? What was it? And if you can remember, when did it happen? And what did you do afterward? whether a poem humbled or frightened you? Oh, gosh. I think I think both. I mean, sometimes, I mean, a poem of mine or a poem that I read? A poem of yours. Oh, gosh. Sometimes I'm, I write something and it, it's so much, um, it has so much more layers than I realized. I think that's, okay. that's both both scares me and humbles me that I think having spent so much time crafting poems, mm-hmm. they come to me easily and then I go back and rework them. And sometimes I'm really surprised at 
buried in them. And I, I realized that sometimes my poems, I think, are kind of screaming at me to see something. And okay. then sometimes, sometimes I'm humbled when I, well, like the one that you said you really liked, um, Sewell yes. Preserve. Mm-hmm. It's kind of humbled because I, some of it just happens. I can't plan it or I just have to show up and and start writing. And sometimes I'm really humbled by what comes. Mm-hmm. how I would wow. And then sometimes wow. I, after that's happened, I just have to go for a walk or go outside and take a deep breath. Do you become the poem? Is your life a poem? That's my question. I think it kind of is. I mean, I think. Okay. I think. I mean, I hope it is. Sometimes I think from writing for so long, I, I, I know that I'm noticing something that will become a poem, and sometimes my my kids will make fun of me. They'll say. Are you writing a poem? I find often, often when I'm driving, images come to me. And I actually, this weekend, I just went to a workshop with Joyce Maynard. And um, it was a prose workshop. But she was talking about how when she's stuck, she goes for a drive. And I often do that, you know, when mm-hmm. I'm I want to figure something out. I'll go for a drive or go for a walk. You know, it's funny. You were in this workshop, and I would think, just on the surface, if I'd written 7,000 poems, that I know almost everything there is to know about a poem. But you still go in the workshops. Tell me about that. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think just last year I decided I never got an MFA. I've only taken... I've taken one poetry writing class in my entire life. Oh, um, wait a minute. Stop right there. Stop the presses. Stop the presses. <laughs> <laughs> Only one poetry writing class. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You've been on my show how many times? And I'm still learning new stuff. So. <laughs> You are welcome back anytime because I always pick up something new. <laughs> so I took a bunch. I I took a writing class with Laura Munson, and I took one with Danny Shapiro, and I took one with Joyce Maynard. And and I think after this weekend, I thought, you know, I probably don't need to go to any more right now. <laughs> I think I'm good. <laughs> Share some more poems. That's why we're here tonight. <laughs> they have fun okay. and hear wonderful poetry. Thank you. So I, I'm going to read some that aren't quite as sober. So one is called White Hydrangeas at Twilight. And I have a series of hydrangea poems that are scattered through this book. Mm-hmm. Luminescent at Twilight, white hydrangeas bloom, blossom. Like Monet's Japanese lanterns scattered around his Giverny garden. Bulbs of yellow magic, pale orbs of midnight and sunshine, the light of summer, August, fireflies, of dancing with our eyes open, running headlong into dusk, where mosquitoes hover, drowsy, 
waiting to pounce. High in our skies, the Neowise comet prepares to fly. And I, I realize that a lot of poems in this book have to do with things that I was reading, um, news stories, and I always look for weird stories or unusual things okay. because I'm I'm fascinated by the the way the mysteries of the world and over Thanksgiving my youngest son said the more he gets out into the world the more he believes it's held together with duct tape. Oh <laughs> <whole> wow <laughs> <laughs> you know when you think about it he's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> I loved stories of you know, under, uh, random discoveries. So this one is called the King Psalms, and it's about a discovery in England. Beneath the floorboards of a 14th century manor in England, an archaeological digger unearthed a pack rat's nest filled with torn scraps of illuminated manuscripts preserved for six centuries. Beneath this wooden parquet floor dug up for repairs, Builders discovered areas of interest, not for building, but for learning, gold around the edges. Monks' calligraphy intact, just as it had been, taken to a safe place to be examined when scholars began to piece the precious scraps back together. At once, they discovered a single, a second signal copy of the King's Psalm. Thought that was beautiful, magical. I I love when yes, you know, amazing things are discovered. You know, somebody has a like a Monet sitting in there, you know, cobbling. <laughs> you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I read those stories myself. <laughs> Share another. Share another, please. Okay, a bowl of apples sitting on the kitchen counter. A bowl of Macintosh and Cortland apples sits on the counter. Shapes of grapes backed into the ceramic edge, baked into the ceramic edge. Twin dots of fire and water lap at our perimeters. Some say, but perhaps they always have, that the end is near. Apples picked from orchards dappled muggy Sunday. A bowl of red and green apples stacked on the kitchen counter on an ordinary Friday in the middle of September. We are nearing the autumnal equinox. I hold one apple in my hand, completing its sweetness. Wow. You know, what I like about your work again, and and I'm not just saying this because you're my friend, um, your work is really clear. I understand it. How important is accessibility, and should one have to work hard to solve a poem? Um, I think accessibility is really important, really, really, really important. And I think I get frustrated with poems that I just can't make heads or tails of that have no, yes. you know, no orientation. They're 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 so far inside a writer's mind that they it's really, really hard to untangle them. I I think there is something to be said for reading a poem several times and getting different meanings mm-hmm. out of it. But I I get frustrated 
when I just can't can't solve a poem at all. So I, mm-hmm. I think all right. I love the idea of I, I don't have a lot of formal poems in this one, but you know of like Sestinas and I, I think those are really interesting. You know, tight form, mm-hmm. but yes. I do find that poems that are are simply obtuse, I find frustrating. All right. I understand. I understand. Yeah. Well, your work is not obtuse. (laughs) Clear (laughs) as a bell. (laughs) Clear as a bell. (laughs) Clear as a whistle, however it goes. (laughs) Your work is clear. Give us some more poems. (laughs) Yeah, I I like being, you know, in the in the tangible world, and then sometimes yes. I think I love when you read something again, and it has a new meaning that you didn't see before. I, I think that you know that's part of the poetry. All right, beautiful. So this one's called Jupiter and Saturn Align. This time they align, an astronomical feat not to be repeated for close to a century. A third of a life. Two-thirds of a life. The years slip past like sugar spooned into coffee. The largeness of sky, the tininess of a grain of sugar, a riddle to pass through a camel's eye. On this day, my youngest son slipped out at 5.29 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yet for months more, maybe years, cells stayed inside me, a recent discovery of seeing the world in a grain of sand. We do what we can to find the whole of who we are. Mm. And I, I love, there There was a discovery in the last few years that after a woman gives birth, the cells from her baby's inside are, I think, oh, wow. for her whole, whole lifetime, which wow. I think is very fascinating. Wow. So, me, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that until recently. I thought that was really interesting. I have, I noticed I have a lot of moon poems. I'm very okay interested in the moon. So here's why, one called why, why, why are you interested in the moon? I love how how it changes. You know, it and okay. how I guess I also started um, doing more yoga during um, the lockdown and. We did a lot of yoga based on the phase of the moon, and I thought that was really remarkable. So I, I love the idea mm. that the moon changes phase, and also that the moon has a lot of colors. Like you know, the full moons have a lot of colors. But I've, I've never, I've never thought about that at all. I've never thought about the moon, the colors of the moon. <laughs> Again, I'm learning something new. I never, <laughs> you amaze me. I've never, I've never thought about that. <laughs> the colors of the moon. Yeah, the, the they really change color. And I think um, being in New Hampshire, that there's so much ambient light, so I saw the yes. moon much more clear a lot of the time. Wow. And you know, I was um, how old was I? I was nine when the uh, the moon landing, and I was allowed mm-hmm. to stay up and watch it. We didn't have a color TV. Well, we didn't. We had a tiny TV, tiny. So 
that we went to our neighbor's house and watched the moon landing, and I got to stay up late. And I think from then, I've been fascinated by the moon. All right. Very nice. Very nice. So here's a moon poem. It's called Full Long Night's Moon. So we have come to the last full moon this year of turmoil. Our moon rises high, glaring through a ring of hemlocks. This moon first named by the Mohawks. Clearing moon, frost exploding trees moon, moon of the popping trees, hoarfrost moon, snow moon, ice moon, winter making moon, full long night's moon, long night moon, wolf moon. The pagans called it moon before Yule. All these names, all these moons, one and the same. Noteworthy for being so high in the sky staying above our horizons all night long, well into morning, crossing over our house, blue-tinged light on squares of snow. We notice natural phenomena more these days, calling back upon our elemental natures, mortality being ever closer. Wow. And um, I have a lot of poems, and I'm, I love art. I lot of painting and drawing and you know, then my dad said, you know, how are you make a living doing that? So I decided to be a poet instead. <laughs> <laughs> Another remunerative uh, calling, but I, I have a lot of um, art poems. I think you call them acrostic poems. I'm yes. very interested in that. And I'm actually shoot. There's, there's one I'm gonna have to find in the break that I want to share. But for now, yeah, I can't find that one. I have to look at that one. Um, I'm very fascinated by a painting at the uh, Museum of Fine Arts in Boston called "The Daughters of Sun Boyd." I'll try to find that. In okay. the meantime, I'll read. Um, here's, here's another uh, moon poem. Well, there's a. I'm gonna read two kind of moon. Yeah, the two moon poems in a row. So northern vernal equinox branches sprout as yolk yellow overnight. They spring into full bloom, like summer blossoms, like forest fairies, harbingers of spring far from suffering. Earth smells warm again, warm and full of feast. Earth tips southward towards the meridian. All things will be made new again. Tears spark from the prospect of bodies. People turn to stone too quickly. And then I'm going to read uh, Pink Moon, a moon color poem. Our first night here coincides with the night of a fortune. I walk out to the woodshed to fetch logs for our first fire. A huge moon rises behind the clear and shining. Moon in Peragi, Sisagi, closest to earth, named after flocks of flower, egg moon, grass moon, hair moon, fish moon, still glinting through trees at sunrise. Mm. Wow. 
you know, this is a call-in show, and you have a caller. I'd like to oh bring God. this person on. Yes. Area code 650. The first three numbers are 906. You're on the air with Heather Corbelly Bryant. Good evening. Hello? Well, maybe they're just here to listen, and that's fine, too. All right. All right. <laughs> that was very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's take <laughs> let's take a brief break, Heather, and we'll come back. Okay. Sounds good. All right. back. Again, I am Michael Anthony Ingram, and I'm here with Heather Corbelly Bryant. Let me ask you a question, Heather. Got sure. a big question for you. Now, we're still technically in the middle of a pandemic. Of Well, yeah, I'm going to say that. Yeah. How, how did you know that your project was finished, knowing that we were still wrestling with this thing, this this new way of being. How did you know that you were finished with the book? Oh, gosh. Well, I think I I got to kind of a almost the seasons of a year. I, I like to have some kind of um, external order to my books. Okay. My favorite thing is to sit down and, you know, put all the poems on the floor and keep moving them around until I find an order that works because I do believe, I think we've talked about this before, that poems draw their meaning from adjacencies. So one poem can look and feel quite different when it's paired with a different poem. You know, just like paintings in the art museum can look different depending on what they're what they're near. So yes, the, I I loosely went on the order of a year that you know from March through December. Um, of last year and then a little bit into the spring. And then I thought, I think when I started getting into, you know, February, kind of the midwinter, I thought, okay, I think, I think this is done. So um, I wish that the pandemic was over. I thought, and I, I think I also finished it. um, You know, this volume came to an end um, last, I think I put it together last, and I had just gotten the vaccine, and I thought, okay, we're really corner. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's I guess it's a case of I might have to have volume two, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Please continue hopefully. with your poetry. 
hopefully not. Please continue with your poetry. Okay, so um, one of my favorite poets is Avon Boland, um, the Irish poet who taught at Stanford. And she was really important to me because she was the first female poet that I studied. I, You know, when I went to undergrad and graduate school, my professor acted as though women just never write anything. I read anything by women in my classes. And Avon Boland was the first woman I, I studied her work, and she's one of my favorite poets. So I wrote a poem in memoriam for her. That's another important part of my work is honoring other poets. So it's called In Memoriam, Avon Boland. I was looking out at April leafy snowflakes falling on the green pear tree sprouts when news of her sudden death in Dublin reached me. She was the first poet I heard put woman and poet in the same breath, say the unspeakable, breathing difficult life into the unimaginable, part of my pantheon of imaginative sprites who guide me away from darkness towards light. I read the poem first year in The New Yorker, the one where she asked, the soul of marriage resides. After, I read everything else I could her poems accompanied me through years of birthing, nursing, writing by circles of lamplight after midnight. She guided me through the crevices of objects and lived known and unknown. I would imagine her writing alone in her suburban Dublin area, putting down the words as fast as she could in the midst of April flakes falling fast. Mm. And then I have um, a poem called Even Song, which is also sort of a memorial poem, but this is more to nature. Rounding hills surround the hills of Ossipi, uneven peaks, dipping, rising, undulating, smoothing, apricot tinges into indigo, velvet purple twilight fingers. My daughter may marry at a faraway courthouse, I don't think I will be able to travel by then. Let evening come, even song, midnight blue descends. A rocket from China detaches, perhaps scattering parts to New York City and beyond. The afterbirth wouldn't detach after baby B, my daughter, was born. I almost bled out a phrase whose meaning, meaning I did not know until that noon. The Pandemic rages, taking so much with it. Where we begin again, the comfort of humans in the stone church warmed by sunshine. When I look up, skies have gone dark, bumpy hills, still holding speckles of sunshine. Let the evening come. And then I have, this is a poem about the summer of 2020. I, I felt a really strong urge to write to try to write everything that I could about what I was seeing in the world it it just seemed a very important time to try to capture what was happening and try to make sense of it so this one's called America on Fire a black man slips a counterfeit bill on a counter in Minneapolis the police are called hatred reigns and he's kneed to the ground a policeman's foot holding his neck, 
Pretty soon, he cannot breathe. Another life gone. But this time, headlines hold for more than a hot second. They capture more than a nanominute of our feeble attentions. America is broken. This summer, the fires are heating up. We've all been stuck inside, losing our jobs, our hearts, our minds. We're beyond fairness here, far beyond. Basic dignities denied, rich people fleeing to the countryside. A breath, a job, a doctor, a place to live. Are these impossible requests? Protests spread east and west, outward from the center, until they reach the quotes. The coast. The president tweets hate, rage, vitriol, inciting a desperate desire for violence while he retreats to his villa in Florida, where he golfs among palm trees, counting his riches like king. Only worse. Nobody can mind the store anymore. We have lost our grip on reality. What would my father say if he were here? We can no longer have no fear. Violence defines our lives, reaches beyond our grasp, overturned, burned, protesters shot with rubbit bullets, and worse, one headline misspelled the murdered man's name. Hmm. It really makes you think of, well, continue, because it really... That's exactly what happened. <laughs> oh, that's exactly I mean, what we I, look like, Heather. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the reasons I write is, is to try to come to terms with what I can't understand. Um, yes. Yes. So this is this is a little, uh, I, I think this, this book kind of alternates between poems like that that are really difficult poems mm-hmm. but I was learning a new landscape and I'm very fascinated by where we live in New Hampshire because it's a it's a very um, rare geological formation it's called a ring dike mm-hmm. and there are very few in the world there's one in Santorini which is one of my favorite places in the world and it's basically a volcano explodes and takes out the center of the earth and leaves a ring of mountains beyond and I didn't realize until later that um, where we are in New Hampshire is also the same formation and I love that. So I was I was learning a new land which was really exciting. So this one is called the Abandoned Tennis Court. Old walls, stones piled high from decades. An enclosed clay court, weeds growing down along where the net should have been a wooden bench alongside the wall, perhaps for spectators hire or elderly players to rest in the midst of a forest. Edges blend into grass, gates swung open. I can smell summer oldness, years of playing, strawberries ripening nearby pine trees. A glade above a diamond pane window and a meadow, a place to feel safe, perhaps from whatever is yet to come. Red geraniums overflowing window boxes. Rocking chairs set up the porch. I long for the feeling of safety, the one I associate with arriving and departing, the space hanging between the two. I tiptoe across the surface where one faint line peeks through the leaves, summer after summer 
of habit and maybe happiness. Oh, wow. You know, you are extremely prolific. You know that. The world knows that. And you've been writing for a very long time. If you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? I would tell my younger writing self to to stop just writing poems and notebooks and send them out into the world. <laughs> okay. Um, and and I would also say, I, I think one thing that's become really clear to me is that if you sit down and let yourself write, you will write. I, I think that's what's changed for me. I don't have time to write or I don't know when I would write. Or And now I, I would say to the younger self, you know, grab a notebook and write as much as you possibly can. Um, and I would also right. say to to love the process, you know, that okay. for me, you know, even I, I realize some of the poems I've read tonight are are difficult poems about really difficult things. But mm-hmm. I would tell my younger self that it's it's apart from having my children, this has been the happiest part of my life is writing. Oh wow. Very nice. I like that. You know, we're almost at the end of time, not very much time left actually, but here's a fun question for you. And I've asked this a lot lately. As a writer, if you could choose your own mascot, avatar or spirit animal, what would it be? Oh, I actually have a poem about that. <laughs> Do you really? Um, <laughs> yeah. Why am I not surprised? Why am I not surprised? <laughs> um, it would be a, a red fox. Because Why? Um, the, this kind of magical thing happened. We were looking and looking for houses, and we it was snowing, and and then the sun came out. And right when we drove down the road where our house is, a red fox ran across the road. And then we ended up, you know, buying it and living there. And the first morning we woke up into the snow and the red fox was running across the snow in our, <laughs> you know, right, right in front of us. There's something, yes. me, there's something kind of magical about the the cunning of the fox and the and the strength of the fox's spirit. So that All would right, be very spirit. nice. All right. All right. We have time for three more poems. Three more. Okay. Well I I'm realizing how many I I really have a lot of moon poems. This is heavy on the moon, but I'm gonna read another <laughs> now All you right. know I love the moon. Crescent moon. In this day, after a night of new moon, we begin our yoga practicing, lying on our left side, our cooler side, opening our hips. It is the opening that matters, opening to the shadow side of the moon, which, of course, only reflects the light of the sun. I am only a beginner here, but I am starting to see the gifts of being able to move more freely through space to open our bodies to receive Earth's pulsations, 
both warm and hot, filling us to the top with feeling, sensation, idealization. So we begin. We salute this new crescent moon, arms raised in salutation, not in hesitation. Mm. Nice. And then I guess really been a lot of moon palms. <laughs> kind of mixed <laughs> I There's a lot of yoga poems too, but um, this is interesting. God is posed. Towards the end of our practice, we turn on our backs, spines pressed against our sticky mat, cool side underneath. We bend our knees, traveling our bent legs out to the side with frog legs folded inside one to the other so as to feel the bottoms of our feet, skin pressed to skin, a sensation we don't often recognize on our own, where our feet touch the ground, the two souls that connect us to earth, where we stand our ground. Let our legs fall where they may, close to earth. The moment you were born, my soul says, baby, they placed you on my chest until you turned blue. I recognize the fright in the room, the carnal fear, of knowing you could slip away in that instant so soon after birth until the crisis team arrived, pushing their crash cart and began pounding on the bottom of your feet until you began to scream. That's for my youngest son who had a rough start. But is yes. 25 and, and then uh, one more. Okay, I think I'm going to read this one. Um, I, I wanted, in my poems, I wanted to try somehow to honor what people were looking for. So it's called, If There Were to Be a Memorial, What Would It Look Like? Do you remember when the graphs began to rise higher, number by number by number, nine months ago, long enough to grow a human life? Now the babies conceived in the pandemic are beginning to arrive. Now, how could we imagine the number of Americans who would have died from the coronavirus-19? As of this morning, over 325,000, though that number is only provisional. At the beginning, my youngest son told me he thought it would be bad, very bad, and he was not incorrect. I think of my daughter driving across Iowa to get her wedding dress fitted, when news of the virus first broke. I imagine mm-hmm. memorials for what we also now know is the great hunger, numbers too extraordinary to imagine. What memorials could we erect now? In some mm-hmm. places, chairs represent the number of lives lost. Humans are terrible at understanding the dimensions of a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. How can a human being be a chair? Even though tangible, the analogy appears faulty. We have no points of reference to comprehend what has happened. Hmm. Wow. Where can listeners... Okay, please, please continue. I'm going to read one really short, tiny poem. Okay, okay. A little more peaceful. It's called Winterbrook. Beside a dirt road. First we thought its noise last spring was traffic that its burbling was the thrum of cars roaring by. But now, through doubt and plenty, we've realized 
Its source is the mountains above. Today in snow, it is full, robust, chunks of ice cling to a crumbling stone wall, perhaps the remains of an early sawmill. The dog prances, lifting her hind legs to taste the burbling water. <laughs> Where can listeners find your work? Where can they find it? Sure. So it's on Amazon. Um, and that also in, in support independent bookstores um, should be, it's distributed by Ingram Books and also from the Finishing Line Press. And All right. All if right. you want to know more about me, you can look at my website, which is just my name, my whole name, dot com. All right. Well, I want to thank you for gracing us tonight with your wonderful work. Uh, as I said, I've said many times, I really enjoy your work. You're a phenomenal poet. Thank you, Heather, thank you, Michael. for being with me tonight. Thank you. All right. Of course. All right. Be well. To our, list, <laughs> to our listening audience, I, again, I say thank you um, for tuning in. And as I share with you every week, let poetry ring throughout the land. And until next time, take care and be safe. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.